Well, it's a pleasure to be with you uh, this morning, or this evening, sorry. This, obviously, I know what time it is. Uh, <laughs> but it's a pleasure to be with you this evening and uh, <clears throat> be able to sing with you and to worship with you. We're glad that so many that were sick are feeling better. We know that there are some others who are uh, still sick and, and praying for them to get better as well. Um, <clears throat> this, uh, this evening, we're going to study about something very difficult. We're going to study a, a hard subject tonight, and that is the subject of when to get you on the right one. of the uh, welcoming screen. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're going to talk about the subject of homosexuality in the Bible. What does the Bible say about this topic? And it is an extremely contentious topic, an emotionally charged topic in our world today. Um, and I understand that, so I want to start off by diffusing any concerns or you know, getting us all in the right frame of mind to approach this topic, especially for uh, any Christians uh, or any, any uh, people who are not Christians who may listen to this at a later date and come across this material. Uh, first of all, the, the purpose of this sermon is not an attack against any person. Uh, when we deal with subjects, when we're teaching and, and preaching about subjects that the Bible say, uh, the point is not and shouldn't be uh, looking for some ammunition to go out and, and attack people. And that's not the point of the sermon this evening. Um, it's the, another point that the sermon is not is not motivated by hate by, against any person. Um, I don't think that that ought to be a motivation when we, when we take up the Word of God as, uh, um, is being hate-filled. Um, and certainly, uh, lastly, I don't think that the purpose of the sermon is political in the least. There's no politics involved, and as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, when I'm when I'm teaching the scriptures, politics don't enter into my heart and mind when I'm trying to teach the scriptures. And so, with this subject and dealing with this, it's not a political subject. Um, we know that it is in the world, and it gets politicized, and there's divisions over this, and there's a fighting and arguing and contention and and all kinds of of hate spewed uh, from one end or the other, and that's just not very productive. So what is the purpose of the sermon tonight? Well, I think there's probably two, if I'm, if I'm thinking through for this specific subject. Uh, and first is for Christians to know what the Bible says about the subject. Um, because in our time, in our culture, and, and probably rapidly increasing, homosexuality is becoming widely accepted. It's, it's very deeply ingrained into our culture uh, in uh, so many shows that you watch in film, in music, in books, uh, the artists, the actors, the writers that put this content together uh, may be homosexuals themselves and feel like they need to be represented in these materials. And so they inject their personal lives or uh, stories about these topics into these different mediums. And it's out there in the world. And you're going to come across it if you haven't already. You're, you're going to see uh, something out there in the world showing this. Uh, in media that we consume. And uh, it's even in media that's targeted to children. You can't hardly go to the library and pick out a book anymore without seeing uh, uh, all kinds of material like this to, because the goal is to train uh, the steady stream of messaging and behavior trains us up from youth up to be desensitized to this and become comfortable with this and to the point where we just don't even notice and don't bat an eye um, and, and I'm that way to a certain extent just because of, you know, growing up. I mean, that was 
that was a common thing that in school and in work and out in the world and in our family we had uh, you know some members of our family were homosexual and so it just wasn't quite a shocking thing you know to see that out in the world um, but for us as Christians we need to know what the Bible says about it because there's a whole lot of noise there's a whole lot of things being taught about this subject and without a solid grounding in the scriptures we're going to be very confused we're just not no, and that's that's not just related to this topic, but any topic. If we don't know what the Bible says, we're going to be confused. So, firstly, we need to know what the Bible says about the subject, and secondly, and I think probably most importantly for our audience here tonight, for us as Christians, as members of the body of Christ, it, we need to know what the Bible says so that we can understand how to behave in the world, um, because that's that's what's important as we study the subject. Uh, as much as uh, as there certainly has been persecution against Christians uh, and against Christianity on the whole, on the side of people professing to be Christians, matters have not been helped very much because of the conduct that we see sometimes. People acting inappropriately towards homosexuals, people uh, being spiteful or being malicious, being hateful towards homosexuals, and I don't believe that that's the kind of conduct that God wants from His people. Now, I don't. I'm not saying that we are accepting and, and that kind of thing, but there's a difference in between in, in being kind and and being hateful. Um, and and so so we need to know how should we behave given this information. So let's start in. What does the Bible say? about this uh, specific topic. Um, you know, there's a lot of things we hear from the world that urge us to accept homosexuality, and, and if it's not confusing enough to hear this, this message from the world, which shouldn't shock us, and it shouldn't be a surprise that the world is saying that this is okay, if that's not confusing enough, this message has made its way into the Christian realm, and I'm using that term very loosely and very broadly. And so today, there's a lot of uh, denominations Proclaiming to be Christian, proclaiming to be followers of Christ, and proclaiming that God is okay with this lifestyle and, and with this sin. Um, and, and they'll go so far as to decorate their buildings with pride flags and go and march in the parades and do all kinds of things. And their members participate in this and they celebrate this and they'll have special ceremonies where they'll invite their members who are part of the LGBTQ community to come up and to you know talk about who they are and celebrate their life and it's just very encouraging and affirming. And there's even directories online in, in doing research and trying to uh, just kind of uh, get a handle of what the landscape was out there very briefly. You can find directories where you can find uh, across the nation churches that are, that are gay affirming and gay welcoming. Um, and so there's tons and tons of them out there mixing this, the, mixing this, this sin with what God says and calling it okay. Um, so it's confusing out there. Um, and so we hear the world going, okay, this is fine and, and it's acceptable and no one bats an eye. And now within the religious world, the, the same thing is happening. It's okay and no one's batting an eye and so things kind of get confusing. So how do we deal with that And for ourselves? But in, I think especially for our children, what's what can we do to sort through this and understand? Well, the best thing we can do is to figure out what does God say about it. And that's why it's important to uh, see what it, he says. So, diving in and jumping into the scriptures. 
The first mentioning that we have of this is a, two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, now, in the book of Genesis, uh, is, is the first mention in chapter 13. Now, we hear about this town, Sodom, when Abraham and Lot are living there in the land, and the land becomes uh, uh, too small for their, both of their herds and all their wealth and their two families. And so um, it says the land could not support them both, and so they divide up. And Abraham tells Lot, we'll divide the land, and you pick one side, and I'll pick the other side. Lot looks at the land, and he sees this beautiful, lush land, and it's great. And so he says, okay, I'm going to pick that. And it says he pitched his tent as far as towards Sodom. Now, in the, in the context of describing that land of Sodom, in verse 13, the Bible says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So right off the bat, when we're introduced to Sodom, the Bible simply says it was a wicked place that's, that Lot chose to go live in. Now, later on in Genesis, as the story goes on, Lot goes his way and he's living there in Sodom. Um, other verses say he vexed his soul with, with their conduct. But uh, later on, as the story goes on, God is going to investigate and find out whether the things that have come up to his hearing are true or not. And so he comes down himself to investigate. And he appears to Abraham and stays with him and speaks with him in Genesis 18. And he tells, Gen he tells Abraham, I've heard the wickedness of Sodom. I'm going to go find out if it's true. And if it's true, I'm going to destroy that city and the cities round about. And Abraham, he knows Lot's there. And he says, well, would you spare it if there were 100 people? And he says, yeah, okay, I'll spare it. So God was going to show mercy. And he goes all the way down. And he keeps whittling the number down and the number down. And Abraham keeps coming back to God and saying, well, what if there was 50? Well, what if there was 20? Well, what if there was 30? What if there was 10? So he gets all the way down to 10. And I think that probably indicates that Abraham, I think he knew how wicked the town was and was guessing maybe it would be only his nephew Lot that would be among the righteous there. But we see where he pleads with the Lord in, in verse 32 there in Genesis 18. He says, and Lord, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak yet, but this yet once. Peradventure, ten shall be found there. And, and notice what God's response was. If there was ten righteous people found in those cities of these men who were exceeding, exceeding wicked and sinners before the Lord, he says, if there was ten righteous people there, I will not destroy it for the sake of those ten righteous people. So sometimes this story is used and people say, well, look at you know, God will just go and destroy these towns. Well, you know, if there's righteous people there, he spares them for the sake of the righteous. So that's Kind of an interesting thing to think about. And God was going to show mercy on this town on behalf of the righteous uh, and for the sake of the righteous people. Um, but God determines to go and destroy it if, and go investigate. But if there's not ten righteous people found, then, then, uh, then he was going to destroy it. Now, of course, he goes down there and there's not ten righteous people. That's just, that, again, just tells you how wicked this town was even among Lot's family, who was a nephew of Abraham and lived with him and dwelt with him and would have heard of all these promises that God made to Abraham, even ten righteous people were not found. In fact, only three escaped from Sodom. Um, but God goes down to investigate and he, he sends these angels into the town and these men saw these angels come into town and... They, they, they noticed. And so when nighttime comes, we see what happens in Genesis uh, 19. Uh, 
they're going to go out there into the, and roam the streets and stay out in the street all night because they want to find out if it's true, the things they've been, that God has been hearing. And Lot finds these angels and he's like, no, you guys don't want to be out in the street at night. Come into my house. And he begs them and constrains them and they go in, into his house. So night, nightfall comes and we pick up there in Genesis 19, verse 4. It says, but before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the, the, the house round about, both old and young, and all the people from every quarter. So notice that it says there, they surrounded Lot's house, the old men and the young men, and, and all the people from every quarter, the whole, all the men in the town, young and old, gathered around and surrounded this house. And what did they want to do? And they called Lot and said to him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Now that term, uh, bringing them out so that we may know them, that means they wanted to have sexual intercourse with them. That's what that means. Uh, you think about what it says in Genesis 4. Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. Um, the, the Bible, the King James Version, uses that, that terminology, that language, to describe sexual intercourse, to know them. And I think uh, perhaps it's because it's a very intimate act, but... But, he's, but he says, where are those angels? We saw them. Bring them out here so that we can do this act with them. This is what the men of the city wanted to, to do. Um, and, of course, they tried to, Lot tried to plead with them, tried to say, no, don't do this. Had feeble and, I think, wrong attempts of trying to stop them in, in what he, when he tried to do and offering his daughters to them. And... Then they try to break in that house any, anyway, and Lot says, no, don't do this wickedness. And they said, who are you? You're just some stranger in this city, and now you're telling us we're wrong? Well, we're going to treat you even worse. You're going to get it worse, Lot. So they start threatening Lot to do the same act to him and, and to treat them violently. Um, and then the angels stop them with blindness, and then God, uh, God sends the hail and the, the fire and the brimstone upon the town, and Lot barely escapes with his family. Um, but what was the sin of these people? Well, of course, they were trying to commit this act. Uh, in Jude 1, verse 7, it says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So the Bible is very clear and shows us this example of this whole town and the cities round about that were used to committing these, these acts of homosexuality. They went after strange flesh. It was not right and it was not natural for them to do this. This is not, not what God designed uh, humans to do and humans to be. And they were participating in these acts. And it was very wicked of them to do these things. And therefore God uh, destroyed them for this. Um, now some people want to say, uh, they look at some other passages in the scriptures and, and they try to say that no, the, the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah was that they were prideful and that they weren't welcoming, and that they were mean to these people. And that's not clear from the context when we just read it. That was part of their problem, but also the problem is they went after strange flesh, and they were trying to rape these angels. Not something that, that, that was very godly at all. And even Lot knew that and called that out to them. So that's the first mentioning we have of this, this act and, and, and uh, of homosexuality in the scriptures. Now you go on into the scriptures... Uh, fast forward in time, when the Israelites received the law, 
Now that tells you this was a thing that was commonplace in those times, even in the day of Abraham. And there were other people and other cultures that were doing these same things as well. Uh, and we know that's true because that was true in Egypt. They had homosexuality as a, as a practice and something that, that, that was in their culture. Um, and even in these Gentile nations and the, the heathen lands of Canaan. And so when God gave them the law and took his people away from Egypt and uh, took them into the land of Canaan, he gave them a law to teach his people how to behave, how to be holy and how to be separate from the things that they, they saw and the things that they learned for 400 years among the Egyptians. And so he gave them a law so, to, so that they would not be like the heathens round about them. And so some of the things that we see in the law that God gave to Israelite to the Israelites are things like this in Deuteronomy 23:17. There shall be no whore among the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. Now the act, you go back to the time of Sodom, the act that they were committing is now mentioned in the Bible as this, a sodomy, a sodomite, a man who's going to be a homosexual. He says this is not acceptable among the children of Israel. Now it's not just man, I mean it was women too. If a woman with a woman or a man with a man was something that God did not condone and God did not uh, accept among his own people of, of Israel. Uh, Leviticus chapter 20 verse 13. The Bible says, If a man also lie with man as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So this was something that God told the Israelites, among your people, this is punishable by death. If a man commits uh, a sexual act with a, a man in the way that he would a, uh, with a woman, that's a punishment or a sin that is worthy of death. And even the topic of transgenderism is covered and, and talked about among the Israelites in uh, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. It says, The woman shall not wear that which pertains to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination to the Lord thy God. So, so God uh, straightly condemned this and, and very much was against this type of activity and his people acting like this. Now, these verses are often pointed to and often used, and uh, proponents often might use this the wrong way, or people that are against homosexuality might use these the wrong way as kind of a club. But... Some of the, the leading contentions say, well, look how evil God is and how horrible God is and how unloving he is because he said that if you're committing this act, that they should be put to death. How, how outrageous is that? Um, I think the thing that we have to remember is to put this material in context. This was, this was something that the Israelites had a chance to hear the law before they agreed to enter into it. They heard the law. They heard the commandments. They heard the rewards. They heard the punishments that God was going to, the blessings or the cursings they would receive if they did not submit to it. And God said, I'll be your God and you be my people if you follow my ways. And they got to hear the law recited to them. They knew what they were agreeing to, agreeing to and knew what they were entering into. And the thing is, the Israelite people, these commandments were for the Israelite people. Not for all the Gentile nations around about them. This was for the Israelite people. And they agreed to obey everything that the Lord commanded them to do. And in, in agreeing to this covenant, they assumed all the responsibility for their actions. Whether or not they were going to obey the commandments of, of, of God. 
They assumed the responsibility and the punishments that would come for breaking the commandments. And so it's not that, uh, you know, people, people use this, oh, look how unjust God is. He's not unjust. The people agreed to it. And if anyone was put to death for any sin in the Old Testament, they had a chance to, to not agree and say, I don't want to be a part of this and not enter into this covenant. But they didn't do that. They entered into the covenant and said, we will agree. And when they didn't obey, they received the punishment they were told they would receive. And that, to me, isn't unjust at all. Um, so, um, but th we see how strongly God wants his people to understand they need to live differently. They need to behave differently. They need to act differently than the people all around about them. And he wants them to take it so serious and understand that it's even punishable by death. It's a very serious matter. Now, what about in the New Testament? We looked at before the New Testament with the Sodom and Gomorrah. We looked at the days of the Old Testament. And even in the days of the New Testament, this is a topic that God continues to teach about. This is a sin that he talks about in the New Testament. And the conclusion is, again, he, this is not conduct that he wants for people that are in Christ. This is not something that he is okay with and that he wants from us as Christians. Um, there's there's a, a few passages that talk about this, and one main passage is Romans chapter 1 that talks a lot about this subject. Now, what's interesting here, sorry, I'm getting click happy here and going back and forth. Uh, what's interesting here about Romans chapter 1 if you notice what God is talking about and what Paul is writing, it's a progression. He talks about the creation of man and how God created all things and how we ought to know and recognize his eternal power and Godhead. And what happens when we start to go away from recognizing him as the source of all creation, we start to recognize ourselves as the source of all creation or other creatures, things that are created, and we start worshiping them. And so what Paul is showing is what's the outcome of that? When we stray away from acknowledging God as a creator, well, that means we're not going to listen to him. That means we're not going to submit ourselves to him and hear his word and obey him. We're instead going to listen to ourselves. And even all the animals that people worship and all the stars and the moon and all that stuff, really they're just worshiping themselves because the human created that and made that and injected their own desires into that. And so when humans, when we worship ourselves and our own desires, it's going to lead us into dark places, and this is what it leads us to. These are the types of things it could lead us to. Romans chapter 124, it says, They've deviated so much from following God, God uh, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. They didn't want God so much that he said, Okay, you're free to go. Go live your life and do what you want. He gave them up to uncleanness to the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And what did they do? How did they do that? Well, they worshipped and served the, cre the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, because they changed the truth of God and, and said, no, this isn't the true God, this animal is, or this, this human is, or this animal-human mixture, or this star, or this grass, or this tree, that's what the true God is. Because they did that and didn't want to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up, and for this reason, God gave them up to vile affections. He let them do whatever they wanted to do because they didn't want to submit to him. They wanted to submit to themselves. What were some of the types of things? For even women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also, the men, 
leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet, which was due or fitting. The, the error, the, the problems they received, and the things that they received by doing these things was fit for the type of activity they were participating in. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So, what the Bible describes in this passage, it says homosexuality is something that is against nature. And nature isn't just our, our whatever urges and desires we have. That's not nature. Nature is to do what God designed us to do. Now, that's truly what nature is. Um, and so we go against nature when we go against the scriptures. We go against what God's design is for humanity. We go against what his purpose is for us. And when we stray that far, he'll give us into vile affections. He'll give up on us if we give up on him. And that's kind of what it's saying. Not that God ever gives up, because he will accept us if we turn back to him. But if we don't like to retain us, or God in his knowledge, rather, he will let us do what we, what we want to do. That's the point. He's going to let you choose to act out, act out these things however you're going to, and it will lead to these, this kind of activity, which God is not for. He is not okay with that. He's not okay with us living that way and saying, puts a stamp of approval on it. In fact, he says it's against nature. And not only is God not for this, and not only will he not put a stamp of approval on it, we know that to be certain because those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom. And to make that very clear, that means you will not go to heaven. Not be taken up to heaven. Paul said that very clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-10 through 10. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers. So fornicators would include uh, the act of homosexuality, but also effeminate or abusers of themselves with mankind. Nor, that's another way of saying like a sodomite. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So, so these are the types of sins. Homosexuality is the type of sin that will cost someone entrance into the kingdom and being able to inherit the kingdom of God. Um, and there, there are probably some other passages that we could look at in the New Testament that kind of touch on that and talk about that. But, it's very, very, very clear in the New Testament. Only, it's, it's only unclear to people who have an agenda that want to twist the scriptures and want to tell people that God is okay with this so that they can welcome bigger numbers into their church and, and pat them on the back and celebrate them and, and lift them up. And it's just very clear from the scriptures that it is not something that is condoned. Before the law was given, even during the law, and even after the law, it's something that God... Uh, mentions throughout, uh, this is just something that is not acceptable. So, what does this mean for someone who is gay? I think that's an important thing to consider, not just, oh, look at what the Bible says, God says it's wrong, and then we take up this attitude and we're out wagging our finger in front of people's faces. No, we need to understand practically what does this mean, and how can we help people? I think that's the important thing. So what does this mean for someone who is living this way, who has these feelings, who, who uh, might be convinced that they're gay or believes that and, and knows that they are, however you want to say that. 
because it's very plain and clear that God doesn't condone, condone it or accept it. And so here's, here's the thing. If somebody doesn't want to follow Christ, they don't have to. They're free to, do, to, they're free to not do so, I guess is the way to say that. And that's heartbreaking and that's sad, but there's nothing we can do about it. And, and God's not going to stop someone from making their own choices. People are free to live however they want. But if there is someone out there that, that is gay, that is part of the LGTB community, and has some conviction in their conscience about a God, and wants to worship, and wants to follow, and wants to understand Him, then if you want to hear and follow God's Word, then I think... That's the kind of person we should be looking for and, and reaching out to and finding and helping. Um, obviously, preach the message to all, but understand that not all want it is the point. Uh, but what if we encounter somebody who wants to hear God is living this way? What if I think I was born this way? We might hear that. I was born this way. Okay? If we encounter that kind of objection or that kind of question or that kind of... Um, Concern from somebody who is, is uh, homosexual? Well, the truth of the matter is, even if you were, even if we would grant someone that, that, okay, you were born this way, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. That's, a, that's not even a valid uh, concern necessarily because every sin, we, we could use that excuse for any sin, if I'm a heterosexual man and I have a pornography addiction, what if I was born that way? What if I'm a man who struggles with alcoholism? Well, I was born that way. Just because we're born with desires and sinful desires and, 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 and perhaps an inclination towards one type of sin or another type of sin doesn't mean it's okay. And the same is true for homosexuality. It just doesn't matter, if, even if you are born that way. God says in, in Acts 17, verse 30, Paul says this, For the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. We all have a duty to change and a responsibility to give up whatever it is we were born with so that we can move on to become what God wants us to be and, and to be renewed and to take on a new life and a new mindset. So, so that can't be something that holds us back if we are truly a person that wants to change. Uh, if you were born that way, it just doesn't matter. Okay, so that might lead somebody that thinks they're gay to ask another question. Is it possible to be forgiven? I've done a lot of horrible things. Is it possible to receive forgiveness? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Absolutely yes. Um, and I think God is eager to remove our sins. God is eager to make us one with him. Um, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6 and look at this passage again uh, of what Paul said. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? And we talked about the effeminate and the abusers of themselves as mankind. And these are the kinds of people that would not inherit the kingdom. Here's what Paul said to these, these Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And such were some of you. He's writing to these people at Corinth who lived in, these, in this culture of idolatry and fornication and all, all manner of evil living unholy living, and he says, some of you Christians used to be effeminate. Some of you Christians used to be abusers of themselves with mankind. Some of you Christians used to be fornicators and living in these acts. Some of, 
some of our brothers and sisters at Corinth were homosexuals and had come out of that. How? They were washed. They were sanctified. They were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. They were saved from their sins. So yes, the answer is, for somebody who is eager to understand, will God forgive me? Yes, absolutely. And he wants to forgive you. And we want, we want people to experience that forgiveness for their sins. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can be forgiven of that. Okay, well, if somebody finds comfort in that and goes, okay, I can change and I can be forgiven, what if the next question they have and the next thought that comes up is, okay, well then, can I live as a gay person and be a Christian? And that's a lot of what we're seeing in the world today right now. And that's the problem with the, with the confusion in the religious world that's trying to make this make the sin acceptable to people People are told, you can live this way. You can be gay and a Christian. And the answer is no, you cannot. You cannot be one with Christ and choose to live outside of his commandments. And that's just not... that. The other thing to think about as we're talking about this, this isn't just about homosexuality, it's about any sin. We cannot be one with Christ and choose on purpose to live outside of his commandments. Because then we're not living as one with him. Um, we cannot fully embrace sinful, a, a sinful nature and declare that it is good and that it's, it's okay and because we're happy and we feel good about it and then project that onto God and say, well, he's happy with it because I'm happy with it. That's just not the way we can live in this world. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17 makes that clear. He says, but... He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So if we're one with Christ, we are, we're one spirit. If we've been washed by him, sanctified by him, baptized into Christ, we're one spirit. He urges them at Corinth. Remember, these people who at one point were homosexuals and now they're washed and cleansed and sanctified. He says, flee from fornication. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your own body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, so Paul very clearly is, is teaching these, uh, these brothers, these sisters, to honor God in your bodies and, and what you choose to do with your bodies and what you choose to act out. Fornication, and in the subject of fornication, he says, don't go and join yourself fornication because you're one with the Lord and you need to honor what he's given you. You need to honor the body that he's, he's given you and use it properly and glorify him in this way because you are one with God. So that might bring a question. How can somebody, if I'm gay, how can I fulfill my desires in a way that honors God? What if I have, I mean, we have needs. We have desires. And I think the I think the answer is that God does not want to withhold us from sexual activity. I don't think that's true. But he does want us to carry that out in the proper context. He does want us to carry that out within the, the proper boundaries. And the proper context is what Paul describes as the remedy for, for avoiding fornication. Remember, he said flee fornication in chapter 6 and into chapter 7. He answers more of their questions and gives them answers on how to flee fornication. 
And the answer is this, let every, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. There are appropriate uh, methods and ways and marriage is the answer for someone who wants to live in a way that honors God. And that's not to say that it will be easy or uh, that, that that's just, you know, it's easy to say a solution, but it's very difficult to carry out and it'll be a sacrifice that someone who is dealing with that sin will have to make. They'll have to take up their cross daily and follow after Christ in that way and, and give those desires up, just as any of us are commanded to do. We all have to take up our cross daily and sacrifice our sinful desires on a daily basis and do new things and live a new way of life so that we can live in a way that honors God in our body. So, if this is the case, that this, that's what it means for somebody who is a homosexual, but what does it mean for us as Christians then? I think that's the next major question. How do we respond to people of the LGBTQ community? Or, it's, or, or people who uh, are living in this way? Well, we do need to know what God expects of his people and how we ought to behave in this world. And the point is, it's easy to talk, or the, the, the thought is, rather, it's easy to talk about these sins and go, look at this sin that the Bible says, and these homosexuality and sin, and look at it. It's so sinful, and God doesn't like it, and we shouldn't either. Well, the, what we need to do is have a heart and mind that is listening to God, too. Because he's not just talking to homosexuals. He's talking to all of us. We need to be hearing the scriptures, and we cannot ignore what God says to us about, about dealing uh, rightfully in this world and living in, in humility and living in uh, pursuit of honoring the scriptures. We cannot. Um, we need to be listening too. So, are we any better if we reject the word of God? No. No. We have to obey the commandments too. Look at what, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, 14-15. Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So Jesus, when he sent his apostles out and said, go and preach the message of the gospel, go and preach the message of this kingdom, if they don't hear you, they're worse off than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, the people we started the study off with, who were destroyed for those, those acts of homosexuality. There's going to be more mercy for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah than people who reject Christ and his teaching. And that includes you and me. It's going to be more tolerable for homosexuals in the day of judgment if, if we're not the kind of people that go, okay, yes, this is what the Bible says about homosexuality. What are the other sins that I'm dealing with that I need to to address what are the things that I need to do okay so we need to know that and have that kind of mindset this isn't just about this sin it's really about all kinds of sin well how should we treat people you know we look at the scriptures and we look at how it is a sin and, and God uh, describes it as abominable to the children of Israel and sometimes people have taken that attitude and seen those words and taken that and put it in their heart. And, and let's be real. The Bible is true when it says homosexuality is sinful. 
but I'm not so sure that Christians have the best track record in responding to gay people. And that's just being honest and, and looking at ourselves, and, and that includes my own conduct in the past towards people. It's really easy to get online and berate people. And I know I've done that. Second Timothy 2, 24-26 says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, preadventure, would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive of it by his will. There are people that are trapped in the snare of Satan, and how many people have I turned away who may, may because of my own conduct, who would have otherwise heard the scriptures and turned, turned to the truth? Being kind and treating somebody respectfully, and I think, I think this is what scares us. When we hear this kind of scripture, it's like, all right, we need to be gentle, we need to be meek. And when we hear that we're supposed to be kind to all men and, and we're supposed to be nice to people, we start to think, no, I can't be nice to those sinners. Well, being nice to somebody does not mean that you approve of their sin. I don't think being nice to someone means that you agree with their life. I don't think that has to be the case at all. And I think that's, that's why we don't know how to react and so we act you know, spitefully sometimes just because we don't know what to do. And the answer is we need to act gently and meekly. And, and go back to Matthew 10, if, if you think we shouldn't be gentle and kind and meek to all people, including homosexuals, if we're not going to listen to Christ's words and the, the words of the Holy Spirit, we're no better than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah if we're not going to listen to the Scriptures. Okay, so if we're supposed to be gentle and kind and meek to all men, including homosexuals, does that mean... We go to the all the way to the other side and just affirm that and say this is this is okay. Well, well, no, we've already talked about that. And and there's a whole lot of Christians, sadly, who are jumping on the bandwagon and trying to be supportive and trying to be encouraging and trying to march in the parades and trying to do all these things. And no, the answer is no. We cannot aff affirm the, the lifestyle and just because we're trying so hard to be nice, say oh it's okay and oh you do you just live your life how you want. We had to be very careful. Go back to Romans 1. If you remember, after naming homosexuality among the list of other types of iniquity, the Bible says this in Romans 1, 13, or 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are, are worthy of death, not only that do them, but those who have pleasure in them that do them. So we can't be the kind of people who have pleasure in in those who are going out and living a homosexual life and any other type of sin. Just as much as we wouldn't march in a parade with alcoholics to, to celebrate the fact that they're alcoholics, we wouldn't go and celebrate and shouldn't into a parade that's celebrating this type of life. And so we cannot affirm and support that movement, and we also can't be hateful and, and enraged or treat people spitefully. We have to have a sense of balance in how we treat people. You can treat people meekly and kindly, and that does not mean at all that you have to agree at, with their life if you treat them nicely. Um, and that's how we're going to reach people 
And that's how we're going to bring people to repentance if we show them that we genuinely care and have the right attitude and that right mindset in reaching out to them. So that brings up a question in general. How should we as, as Christians deal with the sinful world? If, I mean, because homosexuality is everywhere and there's all types of other sins of fornication and, and extortion and all types of things that are happening in our world. Well, I think there's some important things that we ought to know from the scriptures that help, would help us regulate our behavior in the world. And I think 1 Corinthians 5 is a, is, is a critical, has been critical for me anyway, in understanding how to view things in the world. And 1 Corinthians 5, Paul said this to the, to the Corinth, the people of Corinth. I wrote to you an epistle not to keep company with fornicators. So I imagine what they did when Paul wrote that epistle to them, they went out and just cut everybody off. I'm not going to have any contact. I'm not going to have any, nothing. I'm going to just close myself off from the world. Paul's writing to clarify now, and he's like, well, <laughs> probably A for effort, but you misunderstood what I was telling you. And so he clarifies. He says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of the world or with the covetous people of the world or extortioners of the world or with idolaters. For then you must needs to go out of the world. You have to leave the planet if you don't want to have any contact or interaction with sinful people. And it's just not possible. We're going to interact with people who are sinful out in the world. So what's the clarification he gives them? But now I've written to you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one, no, not to eat. So he says, you misunderstood what I was saying and they were applying it broadly to everyone in the world and he says, no, you need to apply it to the church. You need to apply it to the brothers and sisters in Christ. And if people are going to choose not to live according to the scriptures, then we need to take drastic measures to help them understand and help them repent. That's the point uh, that he was making in, in trying to help bring them to repentance. But I want to notice what else he says. That should be our main focus. For what have I to do to judge them that are without? What have I to do to judge the people that are outside of the church? Do you not judge them that are inside the church and within? Those that are without, God judges. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Paul is telling them, and I think this is something that all of us Christians need to hear, and this is what I've needed to hear, and, and something that has been helpful for me, we are not the world police. It is not our job, it's not our responsibility to go out and force people, we want to make you obey the word of God, and get out there in the streets and start yelling in people's faces, and you better, you better do what the Bible says. That's not our job. Our job isn't even to try to beat people into submission through the laws of the land. Oh, we're going to pass this law or pass that law that's going to forbid this sin or that sin. That's not our job either. Why? Because the Bible's commandments, the New Testament, does not apply to those who don't want to submit themselves to it. They didn't agree to be a Christian. We did. They didn't agree to be in the covenant with Christ and, and saved by Him and to live as a living sacrifice for Him. We did. Us, in, within the church, we did that. And I think we need to come to grips with, with that and accept it. It just is. That's just how it is. And that's what Paul's mindset was. 
I don't have anything to do to judge them that are outside of the body. I'm judging those that are within. God will take care of those that are without. And our focus needs to be on the members of the body of Christ to edify them and to, to uh, put away from ourselves the wicked person and try to help bring repentance to the people in our own camp, in our own midst. That's what we need because it does apply to you and me as members of the body of Christ. And that's where our responsibility lies. Now, I'm not saying don't go and preach the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. So please don't misunderstand. We, we do have a duty to go out and share the message with as many as we can in meekness and gentleness, not striving, but trying to help all men and trying to teach this, this beautiful message and invite people into the family of Christ. And once they're in the family of Christ, we have a responsibility to be accountable to one another and to help each other and to lift each other up and to call out sin in our own lives. Um, and so the focus that we need to have as we deal with sin in the world is... Uh, it's kind of both and. It's like we know that there's sin in the world and we know we're going to interact with people. We're going to do our best to try to find people and we're also going to help people that are wanting to change from that sin and become members of the body of Christ and, and really help them to grow. And once they're members of the church, help them and focus our energy on helping our fellow Christians transform on this journey. Um, that is to say, don't focus so much on the outside world and get so frustrated by the sin in the world that we become blind to the needs of our, the body of Christ. Stop paying attention to ourselves and our own lives. Even stop pretending, or even to the point where we forget about our own sins. We're so frustrated and mad about the sin in the world that we're not paying attention to our own heart. That's not what God wants us to do. Uh, we may even get to a point where we become blind or we might pretend that there's no issues in the church. Oh, the church is great and the world, oh, they're just so, these dirty sinners. <laughs> we can't have that kind of attitude. And, and even worse, when there are issues within the church, we need to hold each other accountable and call that kind of sin out and not just look the other way. Because that, that causes damage too. This happened to the people of Israel. Uh, <clears throat> Their prophets got so bad that they were ignoring sin, they were encouraging it and, and participating in it, I'm sure. This is what God said to them in Jeremiah 23, 14. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. What is that horrible thing? They commit adultery and they walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of the evildoers so that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and, as, and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Because these prophets of Israel spent so much time, or no time at all, really, they weren't addressing their own sin in their own heart. They were living in adultery, walking in lies. Not only that, they were encouraging sinful people and, and strengthening and helping the hands of the evildoers. <laughs> So much so that no one was repenting from sin. No one was changing. No one was transforming to the message of God that, and, and submitting to the law of God. No one wanted that because the prophets weren't doing what they needed to do. God says, you are just as bad and you are like the, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah to me. And those people were exceeding wicked. That tells you how badly God feels and how much worse he feels about, about people who are supposed to be his children not doing what we ought to be doing. And so there's, there is a message in there for us of warning. 
if it's because it's easy when we talk about this subject to to get riled up and say, yeah, yeah, look at those those dirty sinners, and we forget to look at our own selves. So I want to encourage us to when we're when we're looking at any sin at all in the scriptures, let's make sure that it's tempered with looking at our own selves as well and understanding what do I need to be doing, how do I need to be changing, am I living in hypocrisy? Uh, because it's hypocrisy if we're going out and yelling at the world of their sin and not dealing with our own house, meaning our own selves first and our own family and our own congregations. We need to make sure that we're, we're uh, addressing our own sins as well. But in general, we know that the Bible talks about this as a sin, the, the subject of homosexuality. We know that it's not something that he condones. And we have a great responsibility to take the gift of God's mercy out to the entire world and try to help as many people as we possibly can. Uh, that's the duty that we have. If you look at Matthew 18, that's what, or Matthew 28, that's what Jesus said. Go, therefore, and teach all nations. Sometimes I've, in the past, I've held myself back from going to all kinds of people. Because it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know about them. I don't know if we want those kind in the church or not. And we can't hold ourselves back. God wants all men everywhere to repent, and he wants us to go everywhere to everyone to teach them this beautiful message so that they can be washed and cleansed and sanctified in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. God wants to save these souls. God wants all sinners to repent and to wash them clean. He doesn't want to... He doesn't want them to experience, and He doesn't want any of us as sinners to experience the result of our choices, which is death. He wants to save us from that and give us something else. He wants to give us life in His Son. And then He wants us to learn, to observe, and, and teach people that we're serving and saving to uh, observe the, the people that God's saving, rather. Teach them to observe all things, whatever Christ has commanded us, and encouraging one another and holding each other accountable to the truth. And that includes our own selves living in obedience to the scriptures and, and understanding that this is our purpose. So I hope that uh, the subject has been... Oops, that's fine. Yeah, that's, that was the last slide. It's fine. Um, I, hope that, I hope that examining this from the, from the biblical lens can help us be grounded with the right perspective of how what the Bible says about it, what it means for somebody who's gay if we're trying to help someone, and what it means for us as Christians and as we go out and deal with the world, uh, regulating our own conduct um, as well. So if there's anyone here that, that is, is struggling with any type of sin at all, not just this, this subject of homosexuality, but if anyone is struggling with sin in their life and you know, you know that it is, uh, you are dishonoring God with your life, with your conduct, you're not living in alignment with His Word, uh, maybe you're maybe in this audience. Maybe we're uh, it's convicting when we hear that we're we're rejecting God's word and not treating people well and not being a gentle servant. Maybe that resonates with you. I don't know, but if you have any uh, conviction and want prayers, want support from your family in Christ, uh, you know that our goal is to to lift each other up and not not to embarrass anyone or or pull anyone down, but to encourage each other. So. Uh, that, that invitation stands, and if anyone here uh, is hearing this message for the first time and wants this hope for themselves to be washed, to be cleansed, to be sanctified, and to be one with Christ and live in a way that honors Him, we invite you to accept the message of the Scriptures to be baptized into Christ.
if you want that life and that hope of eternal life. Uh, we pray that either one would come forward as we stand and we sing.